Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Buddhang tamang sanghang namasami. This is the uh, half moon night and uh, the end of January. So uh, one uh, one third of the winter retreat has passed passed by already. So many of us have. Um, been spending much of the uh, the time this uh, these weeks, spending time together, practicing meditation and uh, developing the quality of internal reflection, watching the mind through its various different moods and changes, different uh, qualities and characteristics through the course of a day. And as the uh, the time unfolds, and then we, it's very natural for us to consider, yeah, how is how is my practice going? How are, how are things working, or or not working? Yeah, how is it uh, uh, how is it taking shape? Oh, we listen to the, the teachings and uh, yes, uh, study the suttas or. The, um, the words of our, our teachers, and we uh, we often will hear or, or, or read and, and understand the teachings in in a very clear and distinct way, so that we, we hear the teachings on reflections on uh, uncertainty, anicca, or the uh, the nature of anatta and the reality, uh, quality of not self, you know, how the the body is not self, feelings are not self, perceptions are not self, and, and so on. And so that we can get a, a clear um, conceptual understanding. You know, we, 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 that can be fairly obvious to us. We can hear it and we say, oh, that makes perfect sense. Right, that, that sounds true. That sounds real. Uh, that, uh, we can feel that it's an accurate map of the way things are, an accurate picture of how our, our life is, how our mind and, and body works. But yet still the, the, the teachings don't manage to transform us. Somehow they don't, don't you know, reach into the heart. And then it can almost be the, the fact that we can understand them and can, can make it almost more tantalizing. Or, more frustrating that you know we can understand how it is, we can see the picture, but yet somehow we we can't uh, get to the essence. We can't um, say experience the the fruits or the the reality of that for ourselves. It doesn't uh, transform the heart. Doesn't change the heart. Uh, so that can be um, frustrating or disappointing. We can feel I must be getting something wrong, or, or what am I? What am I missing here? Or I'm trying really hard. You know, uh, how come uh, I, I'm not uh, experiencing any, any of these wonderful qualities of peacefulness and freedom and 
and joyfulness that uh, the scene that's supposed to be here in the recipe. There, there, there is the um, the um, supposed result of all this effort that I'm, I'm putting in. But uh, we're not we're not there yet. We're not experiencing that quality of um, of brightness, radiance, a quality of peacefulness, a quality of, of purity and uh, freedom. So I was reflecting on this, uh, and uh, yeah, in in my kuti, I have this very uh, wonderful little wood-burning stove, which I've developed uh, deep attachments to. <laughs> it's very uh, uh, one of the worldly inheritances from Longpo Sumato, having inherited his kuti, uh, also inherited his wood-burning stove, and so um, there's a, a certain uh, relationship that I now have with um, uh, wood and uh, kindling and, and bits of newspaper and such like uh, to um, to bring the fire alight. And, and uh, what struck me is rather like when you have a, a piece of, of firewood, you know, that's uh, just uh, fresh from the, the log pile and uh, there's this, uh, there's this lump of wood and it can be sort of cold and damp and and um, it's a piece of dead wood and uh, and you you know theoretically that inside there's that has the capacity to release lots of warmth the 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 um, power of the sun that raised the the tree up and nourished it helped it to grow that, that all of that energy soaked up from the sun and the earth is somehow embodied, is, is contained, is um, uh, hidden away within the fabric of the, the wood, the, the cellulose of the, the, um, the wood fibers, but yet it's not apparent, it's just a, it's just a, a log, <laughs> it's just a dead, cold, wet, uh, and um, there's no heat, there's no warmth, there's no, no light coming from it. And so that's what our, our heart can feel like sometimes, that we we know that there's supposed to be all this you know, brightness and freedom and, and uh, clarity, this joyfulness, this peace that's, that's buried in there. Um, but when we look at our, our heart, I look at our mind, it, it can just feel like you know, cold, wet, damp, <laughs> dead. <laughs> nothing, nothing special like a, a lump of wood off a log pile. Uh, so it can, it can feel you know, disappointing or... or um, uh, Frustrating, uh, and we can be, uh, say, puzzled or concerned. How do we how do we get the uh, the, the this log, this uh, this um, piece of dead wood, to, to release its fire, to release its its light, to release its its warmth and its its radiance? Because we know it's in there. You know, we know the theory. We <laughs> you can just get this thing to to light up. Uh, then, uh, then surely all that energy can can be released, can be shared, can be spread forth. So, just uh, holding the log and just wishing that, you know, and knowing that that's that's the potential, that doesn't do it. <laughs> you know, you, you know that it's in there, right? Well, fine. It's, we know the theory. We know that yes, the energy is is locked up inside there. But you know, right, that's all very well. But how do we how do we get it out? How do we release it? And 
when we learn how to, to make a fire, I mean, you can, you can start off by thinking, well, I could just take a match and set it on fire, you know, set it alight. And so you, get a, you put the log in the fireplace and you just put a match on one corner and it, it, it doesn't ignite. And, and this is rather like just, um, say, sitting down with, your, you know, with the body and the mind and saying, just, well, just wake up, just, just let go of everything. <laughs> just, you, you know, all dhammas are not self, so just let go. And so that the, your, there's a good intention, there's an, there's an effort being made, but rather like holding a match to the corner of a damp log, <laughs> you just burn your fingers on the match and the log doesn't, does not ignite. So just sitting down with the mind and a, and a, and a good intention uh, doesn't really do the, the necessary, doesn't, uh, doesn't say, bring the, the conditions together whereby that... Uh, you know, the energy of the the log can be released, but uh, but there is a way. You know, there are there are ways, and so that as most people probably know, the way you get a, a fire going is you start off with some crumpled paper, newspaper, and get a, um, some sticks of, of kindling, lighter wood that that is a smaller dimensions. It catches fire more easily. It's got a bigger surface area. Um, it's dry. And uh, and then you get the the paper and the kindling going, and have a a um, one or two smaller logs to to then start things off, and then you you nurse it along, and slowly the the the, the paper catches, and the kindling catches, and then the, the smaller logs catch, and then once they're underway, they've got a momentum going. Then you can put the the bigger logs on, and then um, before long, you can just be feeding the the large logs, you know. Uh, straight off the the wood pile can go in and and they they ignite happily there's a there's a momentum there's a strength as supportive conditions for them to to catch fire and then indeed the the warmth the the brightness and the the life of the of the wood is released all that energy that came from the sun that that um, brought the the tree into being and nourished it and helped to uh, form its its fabric the energy that came together to help it to, to grow and to flourish and to, to be embodied, then that's released and we have a nice warm space and we can you know, feel the, the strength of its, its heat and the, the beauty of the, the flames. So then in this respect, what it is, this is to do with in terms of, of um, accessing the, the qualities of the pure heart or the, 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 the uh, awakened, liberated heart, the liberated mind. It's a lot to do with creating the supportive conditions, getting the, the kindling, getting the, new, the, the paper and the kindling going and, and creating the environment whereby we can open up the heart, we can open up the mind and uh, to be able to, say, uh, actualize its potential. And there's, there's many conditions or many qualities that the, the Buddha talked about in terms of uh, setting the conditions for practice. And this, in a way, this is what the monastery is for, the monastery environment is for, this is what the retreat environment is for. It's to create an environment that supports that, this quality of, of awakening, to help the, help the fire get going, to help us to, uh, re to realize and to... to know the heart's true potential, the heart's true qualities. It's, it's to release its inner nature into full consciousness, full awareness.
So there, there are numbers of different qualities that the, the Buddha outlined, but um, there's a, a group of, uh, of four that uh, uh, I've been re reflecting on uh, recently that um, the, uh, the Buddha spoke of as really, really foundational qualities, and they're also they're known as the apanaka dhammas, or the, those qualities which are uh, always useful, the perennially pertinent qualities, so that uh, they're always going to be helpful, they're always going to bring about wholesome uh, results, that invariably, incontrovertibly, apanaka means incontrovertible or invariable, uh, invariably true or real. So that uh, these are, are the qualities that they're always going to be useful, you know, they're always going to be applicable, and they're always going to bring a good result. So these are the kind of qualities to, to cultivate in which to sort of get the, uh, get the fire going, to, to get the, uh, the conditions in place, the supportive conditions in place whereby the heart's potential, the heart's own nature can, can be, uh, be realised, can be... Uh, uh, say, brought into uh, clear being, can be known fully and consciously. So these are, are uh, the first one is uh, sila sampano, which is um, that uh, being um, committed to, to a virtue or the, the practice of sila, so giving the heart to the quality of you know, respectful, noble, uh, beautiful behavior, so that uh, this is always going to have a good result, to be, um, to be living according to the precepts. And so that uh, that is a, um, one of these conditions that invariably has a, a wholesome result. When there is sila, when the sila is, is kept, then there's a freedom from remorse. The heart is, is light. The, we're not having to carry around you know, regrets and remorse. We're not pained by the, the sting of uh, hiri otapa, the, the, um, the, say, the, the quality of regret for things that were, have been said that were unkind or unwholesome or untrue, or things that were done that were indulgent or um, uh, aggressive or uh, selfish or destructive, uh, uh, deceitful in, in some way. So see the quality of, of virtue being, uh, being uh, say, respectful of the, the precepts. Well, of course, we, we fail, we, we make mistakes, we say things that are, are not quite true, we act in ways that are, are um, you know, hurtful or um, greedy and, and destructive in, in certain ways. But uh, the, the very effort to live according to the precepts, the, the effort to to recognize where we have made mistakes, to say, oh, that was, that was unworthy, that was unkind, that was, that was not quite true, that was, that was an exaggeration, or that was uh, uh, not quite uh, how it occurred, but you're just sort of embarrassed by the actuality, by the truth of it, so you, you find yourself bending, bending the truth for the sake of you know, making yourself look okay, or, or bending the truth to make someone else look okay, or to, to cover your own tracks, or to avoid a, a difficult encounter. But that, that voice in the heart that says, no, it wasn't quite like that. <laughs> it wasn't quite that way. To, to listen to that, to notice that, to acknowledge, yeah, that, that's correct, that uh, what I just said was not really true. And that uh, that quality of respecting sila to be consummate, 
um, to be, say, committed to sila, sila sampano, is to that, you know, have that, that respectful ear for uh, what the, the voice of conscience, the, um, the voice of moral sensitivity is saying. So that uh, we, the more that we incline towards you know, care in terms of the sila, uh, to uh, uh, looking after the, the precepts, then uh, the more that's going to set the conditions in place for that quality of freedom from remorse. And when there is freedom from remorse, then there is a, an inner relaxation. We're not having to uh, be worried about um, uh, the consequences of our, of our actions or negative, painful consequences of our actions. There's a, a relaxation of, of body, of mind, and a quality of contentment. When, and then when there's contentment, when there's sukha, then it's so much easier to develop samadhi, concentration, the mind rests easily in the present moment. When, when there is a, a, a quality of regret and remorse and the heart is, is a, uh, burdened by the, you know, the painful uh, memories or, or concerns about our, our own actions, then of course it's, it's much more painful to be in the present moment. We, we look to get away from that painful feeling, so we go off and dwell in the past or imagine the future or dwell in our imaginations, uh, in our fantasies, and get away from that present feeling. But if, uh, if we are not having to remember anything that's regrettable, and we're not, then we're much more at ease in the present moment. We don't, we're not trying to escape from any kind of painful feeling, so it's naturally that much easier to attend to the here and now. Well, then the, uh, another of these four uh, apanaka dhammas is the um, guarding the sense doors, the um, uh, indriya gutadvara, I think it's you know, the Pali for it, uh, guarding the doors of the senses. So that's uh, guarding the eye, ear, nose, tongue, the body, the mind. So along with the sila, giving the precepts, also there's a sense of, of um, what we... Uh, we, we dwell upon what we, we choose to attend to, so guarding the sense doors. So uh, that sense restraint is, um, say, a quality of helping to keep our lives simple and uncluttered, not uh, filling our, our minds up, filling our senses up with um, that which is not going to be conducive to clarity or, or peacefulness, that which is not going to conduce to a, uh, a quality of, of ease and contentment. So the, this uh, guarding the doors of the senses is, is just learning to be mindful about what we listen to, what we look at, what we, um, what we um, put our attention onto. And just seeing that when, if we are attending to something that's causing irritation or causing you know, excitement or causing you know, agitation or the rousing of views and opinions, you know, spending too much time looking at the news <laughs> or uh, reading those newspapers that you're using to start the fire with, <laughs> getting, uh, getting uh, caught up in, in uh, the various uh, um, uh, outrages and triumphs and disasters that are trumpeted from the pages of the, of the newspapers or if you you listen to the, the, the radio or just other people's con conversation and gossip. 
This is all to do with Indriya Sangvara. You know, do you really need to, to fill your mind with that kind of information? Do you really need to know about what so-and-so did or the argument that somebody had with their, with their wife or their, their husband or you know, what you know, certain football teams are doing in terms of successes and failures and uh, what uh, the latest scandals from Hollywood and uh, the latest... Uh, uh, rock musician who's gone into rehab, you know. <laughs> do we really need to know? Do we need to fill our mind with the, the triumphs and disasters, the crises and excitements of, uh, of the world? I remember one, uh, one time, uh, some years ago, in the, uh, at the, uh, uh, on a, a retreat in the, the States, and somebody was asking um, uh, another of the retreatants whether... Uh, she um, ever read news magazines and such like. She and she just had this, this sort of startled and uh, bemused look crossed her face, and she said, "Well, why would I want to spend my time uh, looking at uh, uh, reading about other people's defilements? <laughs> says, you know, I've got a, I've got enough of my own to work on. Why do I want to spend my time reading about other people's?" It was such a matter-of-fact, obvious thing to her. Like, you know, why on earth would you do that to yourself? And I was quite impressed, really. But, uh, and as a, someone who's quite uh, mature and, and wise, that there is a natural sense of Indriya Sangvara. So, you know, particularly on a retreat, there's, uh, uh, because of the, the repetitiousness, the simplicity, the, the plainness of our days, there, there can be a hunger for you know, any kind of activity, something to, for the mind to chew on, something to be interested in. Yeah, and probably most of us, when you you take uh, you make a commitment to to not be you know, reading things or not to be um, you know, seeking distraction, that that uh, you can find yourself um, getting very very interested in and the, the ingredients of your toothpaste, or you know, looking at the um, reading the labels on your your tea bags and the and the the packets of. <laughs> Anything, yeah. I've had this experience myself, and probably most of us have done. Where you, you find yourself just uh, absorbed. Anything that's to do with with information, even if it's old information, uh, the the ingredients of your tea bags, or the, or um, yeah, a bit of newspaper from two and a half years ago, and you can find yourself absolutely riveted, fascinated by uh, the stories and the, the tales. I remember Lumpur Sameda talking about how when he was off on Pupek Mountain when he was a, a newly ordained monk and um, it was an extremely plain life and, and simple routine and he's living in Thailand, he couldn't really speak Thai and he's off on this mountain in, in Sukhondakorn province and uh, but somehow or other this, this um, scrap of a of paper from a, from a Newsweek magazine sort of <laughs> blew in across the mountain. What on earth uh, a page from Newsweek was doing on the mountain in Sukhondakorn, who knows? But uh, he, uh, it was just this little, uh, little scrap of paper and it had the, a report about the, I think it was the marriage of Mia Farrow and Andre Previn. And, but it was, it was a torn piece of paper so that you know, he kind of, re- there was this piece about the marriage happening, but you know, who else was there? What happened? Where, you know, <laughs> And he found himself for days and days just mind pursuing 
uh, in imagining all the details about what happened at this Hollywood wedding. And, and part of his mind saying is, I don't care about Mia Farrow and Andre Previn. You know, I'm a Buddhist monk. I'm on retreat up on this mountain. <laughs> I don't care about this stuff. He said, yeah, but who else was there? And what, you know, what, about, what about his first wife? And just uh, the mind avidly hungry for, for any kind of object to chew on, any thing to uh, define a sense of self in relationship to. So uh, the indriya sangvara, the restraint of the senses, guarding the sense doors can, can be quite hard work. But if we, if we can be disciplined in that respect, it's extraordinary how much more peaceful our mind becomes. We don't have to be processing, digesting you know, huge amounts of of pointless information, or being swept along by uh, other people's opinions, or or being uh, having our own emotions crafted, steered in certain directions by uh, by journalists or <laughs> uh, people who are on the uh, on the radio or on the computer news uh, that uh, steering our, our our minds toward having positive or negative reactions to certain events in the world. Yeah, outrageous, incredible. How could this happen? Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this amazing? Isn't this marvelous? You know, how could they do this? I don't believe it. They're supposed to be running this country, and they're a bunch of dot 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 dot. You know, do we really need to fill our minds with with uh, all of that uh, uh, verbiage and, uh, and material that's d designed to create uh, emotional reaction? It's, and then we see that there's no real need. And when we take the trouble to refrain from following that, how much more peaceful and clear, how much more uh, uncluttered, uh, unburdened uh, our, our mind is. So sila, and then guarding the sense doors, then uh, the... Uh, then uh, the... Um, uh, moderation in eating. The bojane matanyu to learn what's the right amount in, in eating. Again, when when, we're, when one is on retreat and the, the life is very very simple, then the most exciting, the most interesting thing that happens in a day is uh, is often the, the meal time and what's what's been cooking in the in the kitchen and uh, who's the who are the cooks today. <laughs> How many people light up when it's Tuesday? Oh, Tuesday, ding! <laughs> and uh, you know, then recognizing it's not because you're friendly with the Tuesday group, but it's the, uh, the culinary wonders that they, they produce and that uh, the mind can get uh, caught up and, and excited about smells and flavors and you know, favorite uh, pieces of, of food or you know, on the weekend. Yeah, so many different things, so many different uh, um, yeah, excitements for the, for the tongue, for the palate that, that come in. So uh, the bojane matanyu is uh, moderation in eating is just knowing what is the right amount. So developing a, a cool and uh, even-minded attitude towards the realm of, of food and, and learning to, to relate to food just like fuel for the body. You know, in, in essence, that's all it is. You don't have to pretend that it's just that, because it is just that. And that the, uh, 
learning to, to relate to, to food by the, the, um, the needs of the body. So again, this, this is a tremendous support for the, the practice. Uh, because when we eat too much, as all of us know, then the, the afternoon meditation is a, is a, 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 a dull trudge. <laughs> the, the stomach full, the mind heavy, dull. Uh, it's very, very hard to develop any kind of clarity or sharpness. And uh, there's a, a, a thickness, a, a density, a, a heaviness in, in our consciousness, and that, uh, which is, is just another mind state, but it's also a mind state that makes it more difficult to see the nature of mind states. So knowing moderation in eating uh, is just knowing the right amount, because also... Moderation is, is not just a matter of, uh, of eating less because we can get obsessed about food and then eat less than we really need to, to keep the body healthy. So it's really knowing the right amount, which is a lot to do with uh, developing a, a mindfulness of the body, a, a mindfulness of the body's needs. So like now the, the weather is, uh, it's wintertime, but the, you know, the weather's been getting cold, a little bit colder so uh, the, if the body needs a few more calories, uh, then it'll, it'll say so. It will, it will indicate that. And so it's important to be able to, to listen to that, that you don't want to have the stomach overfull, but also you want to be able to, to keep, the, keep the, uh, the engine stoked with as much calories as it needs to help keep the, the body in a, in a healthy and uh, well-nourished state so that it's, it's getting the fuel that it needs to, to sustain its temperature and to maintain its well-being through, the, through this particular season. So when, when you're choosing the food that, you, that is offered, we all have a, a choice to, to, uh, to pick you know, which kinds of food to, uh, to eat from the food that is offered each day just to, to be listening to your body's needs, to be developing that kind of a mindfulness that, that uh, is guiding your hand with the, the, the spoons and the tongs that are putting the food in your bowl so that it's not just based on desire or based on a theory or based on um, a, 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 a habit or a sort of instinctive reaction to more for me. <laughs> or um, that's my favorite stuff so I, must take, I should take lots. Yeah, rather than going along the, the, with the force of habit, just developing that quality of, of uh, attention to the body, listening to the body's needs, learning to hear that, that voice and to answer it not from a place of um, how it should be or, or um, a place of fear that you, you're, you're going to take too much um, or a place of desire, uh, just uh, over, overdoing what you... Uh, what you take because of the, just the instinctual fear of not getting enough, or just trying to get the, you know, the as much, gather as much as you can, uh, as you can sort of legally get away with, or <laughs> that uh, you're just uh, experiencing the distorted perceptions of, of desire. But learning to, to listen to those different influences, you know, lay them aside, and just to be guided by the, the needs of the body. And as the, the advice that the, the Buddha gave and was also encouraged with uh, um, 
in our own training, uh, the, the forest tradition, uh, this is, and the advice Ajahn Chah would give would be to, when you are uh, eating food, even if you might have taken more than you uh, that you need, to to be able to attend to your body's requirements, its own its own state, and so when you are aware that uh, five more uh, five more spoonfuls, five more mouthfuls would be enough to make you full. Then stop, put your spoon down, and then take water uh, to drink water to, to fill up that last gap. So this was the advice that the Buddha gave, and uh, Ajahn Chah would often give, uh, and this is you know, very very helpful advice. So, so some people will hear this and say, "Well, how do you, how on earth do you know that when five more spoonfuls will be enough? How can you know that?" But the fact is, uh, it's if you learn to be mindful as you eat, and you just eat one mouthful at a time, which is to say when you, you put a mouthful of food, uh, uh, you take a mouthful of food and you, you, you uh, put the utensil down, put the spoon down, and, and then you, you chew the mouthful that, you're, uh, that you're, you've got uh, on the go. You're not preparing the next mouthful. You don't have the, the, next, you know, the spoon loaded up and <laughs> hovering, waiting for the, the, the one to go down. You just... Uh, Take a mouthful of food, put your spoon down, chew the mouthful that you've got going, wait till you finish it, and then pick the spoon up for, to make the next mouthful. Uh, just a simple practice like that, like putting the spoon down between mouthfuls, just you know, simple, ordinary advice like that, just creates a little bit more space in the whole mix. You're not caught up in the becoming process. And if you want to understand that, the habits of becoming and uh, compulsiveness then something very prim primal, something very primordial like eating is a very clear and distinct way to, to be able to see that. Getting on to the next mouthful, you know, planning the next mouthful and getting uh, swept up in the, um, in the whole uh, current of uh, consuming, the, the, the flow of, of consuming and the gratification that comes from that. So if just a simple practice like putting the spoon down between mouthfuls and when you finish the mouthful, picking it up, then uh, that just creates a little bit more space in the mix. And so then if you are paying attention, then you can know, oh, okay, you know, that's enough. Your body has its own intelligence, it has its own wisdom, and it, it knows uh, how much it needs. And if we just learn to listen to that and trust that, then we can hear the, the, the voice of desire going, but, 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 you know, I've still got a few more of my favorite things. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't eaten them yet. I, I wouldn't want to waste them. I mean, after all, I took them. <laughs> They're there in my bowl. It'd be ashamed to, to, to waste it. Just to, to listen to those kind of voices and say, well, yeah, okay, choose a bit more carefully and uh, frugally next time, but you've had enough. So put the spoon down, leave it alone. Have some water to finish off. So moderation in eating then, uh, and then just uh, is uh, developing this kind of uh, body awareness. Uh, it's a, a, a quality of kayanupasana in some respects, the, the contemplation of the body, not as an idea, but as a felt experience. And then through the course of the day, then looking at the results, if you, if you feel that uh, the judgment was about correct at the meal time. Then see what's the effect. How is the mind during the afternoon? How is it during the evening? Are you raging, uh, rabidly hungry at night time, or 
feel quite sort of comfortable and, and at ease at night time. How does it feel? What's it like the next morning? So again, you're listening to your body, you're observing the effects of, of how you've acted and, and, and let that experience uh, feed into it so that then you'll know that, that okay, well, uh, yeah, that was, um, I'm, it's, it's the evening time, it's six in the evening and I'm, I'm roaring hungry, so maybe I, I didn't take quite enough at the, at the meal time, that I'm feeling cold and shivery and, and very hungry, so maybe uh, I, I, I underdid it, I didn't know the right amount. Or, or maybe you, you sit with a, you know, a, dull, a, you know, a full stomach and a dull mind all afternoon and halfway through the evening and you realize, okay, <laughs> well, that was definitely too much. So um, be more attentive, pay closer attention next time, be cautious about believing the desire mind when the spoon you know, reaches for the, for the dishes. So then the, the last of the um, Apanaka Dhammas, the fourth one, is uh, devotion to wakefulness, uh, Jagariya, uh, devotion to wakefulness. So this is, a, a, um, again, a, a, a simple quality like the others. These are all very practical, simple, tangible qualities. They're about you know, things that we, we do. And so that quality of devotion to wakefulness is um, steering the mind towards that, that option. Um, and particularly when life is very, very plain or we're, uh, we're experiencing you know, negative mind states or the mind is, is in a kind of critical or complaining or suffering mode, then it's very natural to just want to get away from that. Our body is uncomfortable, our mind states are just uh, endlessly repeating um, chattering thoughts, grumbling and complaining or self-critical, these kind of situations, um, it's very natural just to want to not, to not experience them, to want to switch off. The mind inclines towards dullness, negativity. And so the devotion to wakefulness is to do with you know, recognizing that urge to, to switch off, to not feel, to not be the, the vibhava tanha, and to uh, to steer away from that, to uh, uh, in a way to just like with hunger and uh, knowing the right amount in eating, is also learning how much sleep the the body really needs, how much um, our, our habit of of inclining towards sleep is just a it's just that it's just a, a habit it's a a, a, a kind of a current of attitude, a current of feeling that's, that's uh, affected by vibhavatanha, the desire to, to not feel and the desire to, to switch off and to, to leave it all behind. And this is, this is natural enough. And uh, Ajahn Mahabur, who uh, passed away uh, uh, exactly a year ago, I think a year ago, uh, yesterday or today, uh, one, uh, one year ago he passed away, he uh, He's known to to signed quite a number of, of the letters that he wrote to people. He was quite a a, a, a diligent correspondent. When people would write him uh, letters with dhamma questions, and he would often you know, write back. And often he would sign his letters, uh, "The old monk who loves his pillow." <laughs> that was a very nice way of <laughs> signing off. The, the old monk who loves his pillow. So even though he's an arahant, he'll still acknowledge the fact that. When it comes time to stretch out the legs, you're, ah. <laughs> time to switch off. Ah. 
So I can relate to that. And, uh, and also that uh, in one of Ajahn Chah's first teachings to me when I was in Anagarika was uh, when I, I woke up late one morning and was uh, trying desperately to, to not look like I'd only just <laughs> crawled, out of my, uh, crawled out of my kuti and, and uh, come rushing over to the sala. And uh, I, I was trying to pretend that uh, you know, I hadn't overslept and was just carrying about my business as usual. And it was, I had to look after the Ajahn's robes and bowls and get the things ready for the, the arms round in the morning. And Ajahn Chah happened to be staying at Wat Nanachat at that time. And, and so uh, I was just buttoning up the tags, loops and tags on his robe. And, and he, he looked down and uh, said something in Thai, which of course I couldn't understand. And then Ajahn Pabakro, who was the abbot of the monastery, and translated, and he said, uh, he said Ajahn Chah says, sleep is delicious. <laughs> and he had this uh, characteristic sort of foot-wide grin. And uh, whereas I was, in a way, expecting to be scolded by the, the headmaster for having been a you know, lazy uh, liar bed and just, you know, this sloppy anagarika who's only just woken up after the sun has already risen. And, but instead, he, he was just, uh, there was this acknowledgement, yep, <laughs> that's what uh, so happens sometimes, you know, you oversleep and, uh, and uh, you um, have got lost in that, that uh, delicious, comfortable world of just uh, forgetting it all and switching off and, and leaving it all behind. And that it's delicious, yeah. And uh, it's important to recognize, yeah, there is an attractiveness, there is a a natural draw to just want to, to <laughs> leave it all, leave everybody, leave the world, leave everything behind just to, to, to switch off and forget it all. That's natural enough, but that doesn't liberate us. That's a, a, you know, it's a, a, a common enough and real enough instinct. But it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't liberate, it doesn't solve anything, it doesn't bring dukkha to an end. It just uh, say, a, uh, kind of switches off the the um, the uh, the receiver for a, a while, but the, the the dukkha is still there. It's just not being made apparent. It's not it's not conscious. It's, but it's still there in potential, still unresolved. Yeah, and it's natural enough, and and so it's it's good to recognize that, and also not to be too punitive. Um, uh, to ourselves, if we do find our, our, our mind inclining towards maximizing our napping opportunities during the course of a day, and I, I often mentioned before one one time at the, in the years ago in the early days at, at Chithurst, um, one of the there was some comment was being made at the at the morning meeting, is back in the early eighties um, when we used to have the morning sort of breakfast time meeting to organize the, the work for the day in the, in the reception room there. And uh, someone was commenting about how, you know, the day was really filled. There was, you know, there was really no time for, to have a, have a break. And, uh, you know, there was really you know, not enough time in the day to, for, for people to rest. And uh, heads were nodding, saying, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, it's really a full-on schedule. We got arms around in the morning and work all afternoon and then morning puja, evening puja. You know, it really is pretty full on. The day is really just uh, very demanding. And, and uh, at the end of the, the meeting, one of the Anagarikas said to me, you know, you know that's really rubbish. You know, if, you re if you really work at it, you can actually 
you can actually get in 14 hours a day of sleep, you know, of sleep time. You know, if, you, if you're diligent, <laughs> you can be unconscious 14 hours a day. He was serious. <laughs> but, uh, he was a very self-critical, depressive type, so he was always very keen to get away, to get away from his mind. But he said, you know, you can, if you really work at it, if you, if you pay close attention, you put, you put your mind on the subject, you can, you, can be, uh, you can sleep 14 hours a day, even with the schedule that we had in the, at, uh, in, in the work routine at, uh, at Chithurst in the, the early 80s. So, yeah, I was quite impressed, actually. <laughs> that takes effort. That takes that takes real application to 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 switch off and to, and to be determined to, to not feel to that degree and to follow it through, so that you're conscious a minimum amount of time. So that's sort of anti. <laughs> it's the kind of uh, anti devotion to wakefulness, the sort of devotion to sleepiness. But at least he could recognize it and also, you know, acknowledged it also with a, with a chuckle. He could see that it was not going to lead to liberation, but he could just see how strong that was within him, the desire to not feel, to not be. So with the development of uh, devotion to wakefulness, then there's the, the basic principles like of, uh, you know, Lumpur Sumato would uh, encourage over the years of when you set your alarm, uh, as soon as you hear your alarm go off, then uh, leap out of bed with alacrity. That was the, I know a few people had to reach for the dictionary to find out what alacrity is, but uh, alacrity means quickly, speedy. Leap out of bed with alacrity. So to, uh, as soon as the alarm goes, don't let the, as he would say, when it comes to getting up in the morning, don't let wisdom anywhere near it. Because wisdom will always say, oh, just five more minutes. So just, you know, and nowadays with the snooze, the snooze button on our alarm clocks, this is the, definitely the work of Mara. Mara is embodied in the snooze button. But, uh, back in the old days, you know, again, harping on the old days, snooze, snooze buttons didn't really exist. So it was, uh, if you switched off your alarm, then you were, uh, you were at risk of, of not waking up again. But uh, I always like that reflection of Lumpur's. Don't, you know, getting up in the morning is, a, is an act of pure will. Don't let wisdom anywhere near it, because wisdom will always say, yeah, we must be reasonable, don't want to rush things, you know. You might stumble in the dark, or, you know, you're wide, you're wide awake. You know, you're lying down, but you're wide awake. No need to rush. It's morning chanting's at five, it's, it's four o'clock, you know, loads of time. I know you, Mara. <laughs> and they'll say, no, uh, now, move. Yeah, don't think. Uh, use the force. Just uh, get up and and and, keep, and get moving. You know, take action. So that with the the first bleep of the alarm, bing, <laughs> to set that intention to to go, and to um, to uh, be able to also to recognize if you do it like after the meal time. Uh, yeah, if you've yeah, finished washing your bowl and put things away, then. Don't uh, if you get back to your room or your to, to your kuti uh, that there can be that that sense. Oh, great! I've got you know a whole hour and a half before you know, the two o'clock sitting. I can <laughs> I can really get in some ser serious nap here. Just to, to notice that thought and think, well, do I do I really need that long, or you know, is there such urgency? And to spend some some time doing uh, 
some more sitting meditation, just to to sit, be still, or walking meditation, just walk up and down. To, and then when you find that, oh yeah, okay, it's definitely uh, the, it will be good to take a take a few minutes to to stretch out if you need that, and then it's uh, and the, you've given the time to to staying awake then it's quite fine to, to stretch out and, and take a nap and it can can be very refreshing but just to have that standard of devotion to wakefulness so that you're going against that current of devotion to sleepiness like oh great look at that back in my room it's only twelve thirty. this is great an hour and a half whoopee <laughs> that, uh, well okay that's an understandable thought and maybe you do need to take a nap, but maybe you don't. Maybe you don't need that kind of a rest. Don't assume that, and don't think of that as an intrinsic good. But uh, rather to steer the mind towards seeing, being awake, seeing you know, that wakefulness is the intrinsic good, rather than the, the, um, the appeal, the, the call of the pillow, to, um, and delight that is promised in that. And similarly, in the evening, after the... The evening sitting finishes, we get back to our, our, our dwelling place, rather than thinking, oh, okay, <laughs> rack time. And uh, just uh, I, uh, taking time to instead just uh, carry on with the meditation to, um, to set this as a, as a standard so that you, you don't stretch out and, and lay down to rest until you really need to. So this is uh, something that I would do over years and years. I would make that as a, as a practice to always, at the end of the day, just to, to sit and to, to wait uh, until I was you know, really sleepy and really, really blinking out, you know, just drooping over two or three times, three or four times, and then recognizing, okay, that's definitely, this is time to, <laughs> the, the signal's all here, I'm, I'm practically falling on the floor, so this is definitely the time to, to stretch out, so that you're you're steering the mind towards wakefulness, because our instincts don't don't tend to do that. They they are uh, inclining towards the you know, the, um, the 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 habit of of switching off any kind of sign of of tiredness or just the idea. Oh, look, it's ten o'clock. I must be. It must be time to sleep. You know. Wow, it's ten ten forty five. Definitely. But you know, if you find it's ten forty-five and you're still you know, still st- uh, wide awake, then stay with it. Just uh, stay up and and keep the uh, the meditation going until there's definitely the, the body is saying, "Okay, you know, that's enough. It's time to time to stretch out and and lay down." So just like with learning to discern what the body needs in terms of, of food, we we learn to discern you know, what the the body needs in, in terms of Asleep, and particularly in a retreat time when we're do- doing a lot more meditation, then you know you, you often find that the just as the need for food can can reduce, the need for sleep also reduces. And that uh, we can have an idea: oh, I need so many hours per night or per day. But this uh, quality of devotion to wakefulness is a, a useful manner to a useful standard to challenge that by. Okay, how much sleep do I really need? You know, how much. Uh, is uh, required, and how much is just habit? And similarly, if we we wake up even before our alarm, we you know we wake up in the morning and look at the clock and think, oh, two forty-five. Ooh, 
way too early. And then you, you close your eyes and you're lying there wide awake and you realize, okay, so it's 2.45, why not get up? If I'm, if I'm here, I'm wide awake, my body's woken up, so maybe this is the time to get up and just get up and, and uh, get your day underway and start the, get yourself uh, cleaned up and, and start the meditation. So not to be, uh, say, guided or ruled by the force of habit, but instead uh, to be taking that standard, cultivating that standard of, of uh, wakefulness. So these four, the, these uh, apanakadamas, that these are always going to be a, a beneficial result. So uh, this is something that the Buddha emphasized, that uh, regardless of how we apply them, they're always going to have some, some helpful, some beneficial result to them. And so that these are, are the ways that, in a sense, you, uh, you can gather the conditions or we can help bring together the conditions that support the, the quality of insight. And rather like the, you know, the paper and the kindling uh, are the, that you need to get the fire going, then this is exactly these very simple, practical, tangible tools are the, the ways that we set the conditions uh, in place whereby we can uh, awaken to and, and open up the, those inner qualities of the heart. And that by uh, putting effort, putting energy into these um, particular areas, guarding the sense doors, uh, looking after the sila, moderation in eating, devotion to wakefulness, then this uh, steers things in that direction and, and maximizes the, the potential for that, uh, uh, that brightness, the qualities of peacefulness, the qualities of uh, purity and freedom that uh, are here within the heart that for them to be awakened to, for them to be realized, that uh, setting those conditions in place and it, it's uh, what, you, uh, what we need to help turn the, uh, the, the energy, the, the qualities that are potential uh, there in the, this sort of uh, the, the log of our, <laughs> of our being it, uh, that can look just like a, a dead cold uh, heavy thing from the outside, that when we uh, set the conditions in place, then that uh, true nature, its, its inner nature, can, uh, can blossom, can manifest, and then we experience the, the warmth, the light, the, the beauty of, uh, of our own being. It's, uh, it's made manifest. And it's not just an idea, it's not just a, a thought or an aspiration, but it's a, a felt quality, a, a known experience. So I offer these thoughts for consideration this evening. Andamayan Dhamma Avatakata Sadhu Karanda Dhamma Say Sadhu